Father, we do ask that you just bless the junior high kids. As, um, we, we're so used to having them here on Wednesday nights and running around and full of life, and, and, uh, and we miss them. But we're thankful that they could get away to the, the camp and that they got there safe. And, uh, and uh, Lord, that you just, your hand has been on them. Uh, and I know you want to do work through them. And um, Lord, just bless them as they uh, have all day tomorrow and, and then into Friday morning. And we ask that you bring them back safely to us. And I thank you for uh, Jerry and Eileen and Lori and Jim and Travis and, um, and Barbara that are there with them. I thank you for the camp. And we just lift up Jeff Christensen to you, our friend and our brother. Uh, and uh, we just pray you bless his ministry there and uh, as he's having service in Glidwood Springs at Calvary Chapel there that you just bless the brethren there and, um, and Lord we just are thankful that the kids can go there Father we do pray that uh, you would just right now just help us to, to have understanding and uh, learn from the scriptures tonight as we come and we learn about Solomon um, we see the uh, that Solomon begins to get his eyes on the things of the world, and uh, his heart is taken away. And so may we take heed tonight, and, and uh, Lord, the Scripture shows us these things so we can learn, um, learn and be warned, and to watch out. And um, Lord, we desire to just take these things to heart. So bless this time. May we just remember that our cell phones need to be off right now, and uh, we want to be free from distractions and give our attention to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 10, of course, Solomon is firmly established as the king of Israel. And uh, Solomon, as we saw in chapter 3, the Lord would appear to Solomon. And as the Lord appeared to Solomon for the first time, the Lord said to Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon didn't ask anything for himself, but he said, Lord, that uh, I don't know my coming in and my going out. I'm young. This is a great people. Uh, I need wisdom. And the Lord was pleased when Solomon asked for wisdom. And I want to remind you that of that once again, because I think that all of us, that we need wisdom on a daily basis. But oftentimes we will find ourselves in circumstances or we need to make decisions and we need wisdom. We need godly wisdom and, and being parents and being um, you know, ones that desire to serve the Lord. We need God's wisdom and walking with the Lord. And as we learned in James chapter 1, that if we lack wisdom, we can go to the Lord and ask of him and he'll give it to us generously without reproach. In other words, that it pleases the Lord when we come and ask for wisdom. And understand this, folks, that the Lord wants to give you wisdom. He desires for you to grow in godly wisdom, give you direction and understanding. And the Lord has the answers for every area of your life. He desires to speak to you in that still small voice. And I know that a chapter that oftentimes that I'll remind you of is, is Isaiah chapter 30, that where the Lord says that he promises that as we go to him for counsel, that he will be a voice behind us saying, this is the way walk in it. And I don't know about you, but I need God's wisdom every single day of my life guided me and directed me. And so 
here is Solomon. He, he asked for that wisdom. And the Lord said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for anything for yourself, that I'm going to give you wisdom. And Solomon, of course, is known for great wisdom. We're going to see that displayed even as we now move into chapter 10. And Solomon also was blessed by the Lord. So Solomon here is he's the king of Israel. He's the king during that time where Israel is experiencing its greatest prosperity, its greatest peace, its greatest power, as the nation is going through extreme wealth. Solomon, because of his father David, was able to raise up a large workforce. You see, the men were off to war. It was David that defeated all of his enemies around him. The nation was at peace. And so there were tens of thousands that were working on the project of building Solomon's temple. And we saw that there was 80,000 in the quarry and 70,000 that carried the burdens, 30,000 men that were bringing logs down from uh, from the area of Lebanon. And, and so after seven years, the temple being completed, and then Solomon also would build his palace, Solomon would continue throughout his reign on these work projects that he had. Yeah, he had fortified cities, he uh, was building large stables for horses, and all these things that he was doing. So they're experiencing great peace. And as we saw in chapter 8, that Solomon, after the completion of the temple, would give that prayer of dedication. And it was a beautiful prayer. We saw uh, just uh, that prayer that he gave to the Lord. And he would also prophesy in that prayer. Because you recall that it was Solomon that said that, Lord, when we sin, not if we sin, but when we do sin, and we forsake you, and we go off into captivity, may we turn towards this place, because, Lord, your eyes are perpetually, continually on this place, the temple. And may we repent, and may you deliver us and bring us back into the land. And so it's interesting that Solomon was praying that, praying about that time when, of course, we're going to see a little bit later on, when we travel through Second Kings, that the nation is going to go into captivity. The nation is going to split here in just a couple chapters. The house of Israel is going to go into captivity by the Assyrians. And then after that is going to be the house of Judah that's going to go into captivity by the Babylonians. And we know that, that Solomon, in that prayer, that as we moved into chapter 9, that it was Solomon, after he completed all that was on his heart, that is the building of the temple and his palace, that the Lord came to him a, a second time and said, Solomon, I heard your prayer, and, and, and I honor your prayer and what you, you prayed. And I see this place, and I, I hear my people. And he reminded Solomon of the covenant that he had made with the children of Israel, clear back at Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt. And Solomon, if you follow after me and keep my commandments and keep my ways, then I'm going to bless you, and, and I'm going to bless the nation. But if not, then there's going to be judgment and there's going to be consequences. So Solomon here, once again, be reminded of the covenant that God had made with his people. And Solomon continues to, to grow in wisdom and in wealth and all this that has taken place. But I want you to remember that in chapter 8, that at the end of the chapter, after the prayer of dedication, and there was this great feast that, that took place and celebration for two weeks as the people sacrificed to the Lord, that it says that the people went home uh, with gladness of heart, each person to their own tent, for all the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. So God is blessing at this time because the people are following after the Lord. Solomon is 
is seeking the wisdom of God and is giving the wisdom of God to others. And now we see that the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon. So we read in chapter 10, verse 1, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And here is a familiar story of the Old Testament that the Queen of Sheba is coming to see Solomon. Now, there can be debate exactly where the Queen of Sheba came from. There are some scholars that believe that she came from that area of Yemen, just east of Jerusalem. And if she came from that area, she would have to travel about 1,200 miles through barren desert to come to Jerusalem. So some believe that she came from that area, but I think that a lot of scholars believe that she came from that area of Ethiopia, and the reason is because as you look at the gospel uh, narratives, that Jesus would talk about the Queen of Sheba, and it's interesting what Jesus has to say about her. And Jesus would say that she was the Queen of the South. So many believe that she came from Africa, from that area that we know as Ethiopia, and she would come up from Ethiopia. Again, she would have to cross barren desert to get to Jerusalem, and she would come to see Solomon. And she came, as the text tells us, to test him. If you have a King James in your lap, it says to prove him. And when we read that, we think that perhaps she came asking hard questions, that she came trying to trip him up or do him in. Because you see, as you go to the gospel narratives, it was the Pharisees that tried to do that with Jesus, didn't they? They were coming to Jesus, and they were always asking him hard questions. And the reason that they were is because they were not seekers of truth. They were not wanting to have understanding. They were not desiring to hear truth. All they were desiring to do is to trap Jesus with their questions, trying to trip him up, trying to get the people to turn against Jesus, and that's what they would constantly do. But Jesus would answer them uh, those questions that they came with very perfectly, and, uh, and Jesus, of course, is truth, and the people would marvel at Jesus. And it's interesting that one of those times that, that they came trying to trap Jesus, some of the scribes, as you read in Matthew chapter 12, and it's in chapter 12 that Jesus would speak about the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon. And, and the scribes at this time of Matthew chapter 12, they came and, and they were asking Jesus for a sign. Now, what is interesting is they came and they asked for a sign uh, there in that story of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had been up in the Galilee region and he had been healing the people of every kind of sickness and disease, freeing the demoniacs. Uh, the multitudes at this time were great. And so he was working miracle after miracle after miracle and healing the people. And here come the Pharisees asking for a sign, asking for a miracle. But we know from the gospel narratives that what they really wanted is they wanted this spectacular sign, this super sign. Hey, we want to see fire come from heaven. We want to see the parting of the Sea of Galilee. We want to see something very spectacular, prove that you are the Messiah. And Jesus, of course, was upset, and he said, you're an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And no sign's going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? The only sign that I'm going to give this generation and every generation is the sign of the resurrection. I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise again. And Jesus went on to say that the queen of the south, speaking of the queen of, of, of Sheba, 
that she will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So in other words, what Jesus is telling us is that she came as a seeker of truth. She came open to the truth, and the text here in chapter 10, as we read on, tells us that. So as you look at this Hebrew word that, of prove that she came, to, to see uh, Solomon, to prove him with hard questions. It does talk about testing. It does come uh, talking about testifying. Uh, she wants these hard questions to be answered, but I believe that her heart is soft, and she desires to hear truth. And there's a couple things that we can learn from in this text. Jesus commends her, as, as I read to you from Matthew chapter 12. She came with a sensitive heart. She came from the ends of the earth to seek the wisdom of Solomon. He was rebuking those religious leaders because they came with skeptic hearts and hard hearts, and, and they were from Israel. And here is a Gentile that travels from the ends of the earth to hear the, the wisdom of Solomon. And a greater than Solomon is here. Because you see, Solomon, he was the king of Israel. Jesus, he's the king of all kings. Solomon had the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Solomon had riches. Jesus is the source of unsearchable riches. Solomon answered Sheba's questions. Jesus is the answer for our lives, isn't he? A greater than Solomon is here standing in your midst, and you come with hard hearts and skeptic hearts. And what my prayer for all of us here tonight is that when we read the scriptures, when we have our daily devotions, when we have a Bible study, whether it's with a small group or we come on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, that we would always remain teachable. Yes, we, we want our, answer, our questions answered. We, we want to be ones, though, with a soft heart desiring to learn of the Lord and to receive from the Lord and be sensitive to the truth of God's word as it goes forth. And that's what she was doing. She was coming to seek truth. She was coming with difficult questions, and, and Solomon was able to answer those questions. But also I learned from her as well, because she expended the energy, and she made the effort to travel from either Ethiopia or if it was from the east, but it was a long distance. And you see, travel back then wasn't easy, was it? There was no trains, planes, and automobiles. And even though she was a queen and she had a company of people coming, it would be very difficult, but she made the time, she expended the energy to do that, to hear the wisdom of God. And I want to encourage you that as you continue to grow in the Lord, it, it takes energy, and I know that an effort to do that. And I'm preaching to the choir, because you guys are here tonight, on Wednesday night, in an Old Testament book, studying it. You're desiring to hear from the Lord and study God's Word and to know it. But I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Get up in the mornings, have your devotions, and, and I hope that you're doing that. And I know that some of you get up very early. And you get up early and there's work to, you know, that you got to get ready for. you got to get the kids ready. There's uh, breakfast to be made. But just get up a little bit earlier. Expend the energy, make the effort to really seek out God in the morning, in the beginning of your day, whatever it might mean for you. And be one that is constantly and consistently just desiring to hear God's wisdom and God's truth. Keep coming out on Wednesday nights. Be one that is involved in Bible study. Stay in fellowships. Never fall out of fellowship. 
to continue to grow in the Word of God and in fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with other brothers and sisters. And that's what she's doing here. She's coming to see Solomon. We read in verse 2, and she came to Jerusalem with a great uh, company with camels and bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him all about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, for the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord and there was no more spirit in her. In verse 6, then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard and happy are your men and happy are these servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. And blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So she's marveling at the splendor and the beauty of the kingdom here of Israel and, and the house of the Lord and Solomon's palace. But also what she is blessed by, as you notice here, and I think it's worth uh, making a very important note here, and it's simply this. Notice in verse 5 that she was also very impressed at his servants, the service of his waiters, their apparel. You can go to verse 8, happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. I just want to encourage you who serve the Lord. That I pray that you never think that, you know, what I do in helping out or serving in any way, that it's not important. It's not an important role. Uh, it's, it's not really a blessing to others. It really is. And the Queen of Sheba here, as she came to hear not only the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Solomon, but also she was impressed by those who were serving before the king. And again, my prayer for this place here at Calvary Chapel is that people would come, as they do come to this place, that they would hear the truth and the wisdom of God as the Word of God is being taught here, as we make a priority in teaching the Word of God, that they rejoice in that, they're touched by that, um, that they have understanding of the things of God. But also know this, that I pray that they would be blessed by you who serve. And you who perhaps think, well, I hand out a few bulletins, no big deal. It is a big deal. You get to bless those who are coming, and you're the first one that they see as you come in the door. And to be welcome, that's a blessing as they come through the doors. That you who are in the nursery and working with the children, as people are signing in their kids, to be there and be ready to receive them, it's a blessing to them. As people expend the energy and they make the effort to, to come to church, to come to Calvary Chapel, may they be blessed by hearing God's wisdom and also by you who serve, serving in the coffee shop, you who serve in so many different capacities in so many different ways, and not just when we have service, but in other times as well. And I am so thankful for those who are committed to serving and being here and being here early, and, and, and that ministry is very important, and you bless the people as you do that.
So the Queen of Sheba, she's blessed by that. In verse 10, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. And there never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to Queen Solomon. And also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of all mugwood and precious stones from Ophir. So here were these ships, and we've already read about this, that we know that the Jews really weren't sea bearing people. They, they, they were kind of scared of the ocean. But Solomon, he wanted to build these ships, and he built these ships, as we have read, down in Elot. Elot is in the southern part of Israel. You know, Israel comes down, as you look at the borders today, and it comes down and it borders the very tip of the Red Sea. And Elot is a city today that is a resort city that you can go there and a lot of uh, people go there, tourists from all over the world and, and uh, people of Israel, the Israelites go there and they vacation there and uh, relax there. There's an airport there. There's only two airports in Israel. One is Ben-Gurion and then the other one in Elat. And so a lot of people go there. And here were these ships that were being built and they would go to o Ophir. And again, the debate is where exactly that was. Was it in India? or in South Africa. But it was Hiram uh, and those up in the Sidonians and up in Lebanon that they were ones that knew how to, you know, uh, you know, manage the ships and they weren't afraid of the ocean. So they came and helped King Solomon and these ships would go and they would bring back gold. And what we're seeing here is that Solomon is beginning to multiply gold greatly. And what we're seeing that also he would bring back spices and other things that we're going to read about. He would bring back this hardwood, which was an all mug wood, and he would use it in the temple and in the building of his palace and the steps going up to his throne. He would also make um, instruments out of this hardwood that wouldn't rot and was good for making instruments. We'll read about that as we continue in verse 12. And the king made steps of the all mug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and string instruments for singers. And there never again came such all mug wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, beside what Solomon had given her, according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went her to her own country, she and her servants. So she leaves, she leaves amazed, she leaves blessed. And I want to remind you again what my prayer is, and I know it's your prayer as well, that all of us, that we would leave this place just being blessed. Because we've heard God's truth and God's word. Because, you know what, there are people here serving you and blessing you. I hope that you rejoice in the opportunity to serve the Lord and be a blessing to others. And as we leave this place, we know it's a good place. And that's what the Queen of Sheba is doing. She's leaving. Oh, that was a blessing. How God has blessed Israel and has established you, Solomon, as the king of Israel. And, and she just marveled at all that. Now, a couple of things according to verse 13. That there has been, uh, you know, tradition throughout the millenniums that said that King Solomon would give queen, uh, uh, the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. And they ended up having a child together. Well, there's no evidence of that in the scripture. Also, some have said that at this time that it was uh, Solomon that gave the Queen of Sheba the Ark of the Covenant. And so the question comes up today, where is the Ark of the Covenant? And there is some theories that at this time that it was Solomon gave her all that she desired, and for some reason Solomon gave her 
the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant that we just saw a couple chapters ago that was put into the Holy of Holies there in the temple. Well, there's no scriptural evidence of that whatsoever. And I don't believe that Solomon would give the Queen of Sheba the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most precious furnishing that was in the temple. So there's no basis for it. Plus, what we're going to see in 2 Kings, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be mentioned once again, and we'll talk about that when we get there. So just a couple of side notes that, that people come up and, and will try to say that, well, Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba the Ark of the Covenant. There's no scriptural basis for that whatsoever. So she would leave rejoicing, and then we continue talking about the wealth of Solomon, the weight, verse 14, of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Isn't that interesting, that number that comes up, 666? And, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, just really try to, to take something out of the text that really isn't there. Um, I'm not, you know, all into this numerology and stuff that some are, but it is interesting that this number comes up. And I think what we're going to see here very clearly as we continue reading is that Solomon, his heart and his priority is now on amassing wealth. He is on amassing more and more gold. He, he's received gold from the Queen of Sheba. His uh, wages or his salary for a year is 666 talents of gold. And of course, when we read that number, we associate it with a coming leader called the Antichrist. His number, of course, the book of Revelation, chapter 13, tells us that his number is 666. Now, I'm not saying that Solomon is a type of the Antichrist. But there is going to be a world leader that's going to come on the scene that is going to be, first of all, a political leader. That's what the Antichrist is going to be, as we see from the book of Daniel and also from the book of uh, Revelation. We see clearly that he's going to come on the scene and he's going to be a world dictator, so he's a political leader. He's also going to be a religious leader because he's going to, first of all, in the first half of the tribulation period, support that worldwide false church uh, that is described in Revelation chapter 17. But then as he supports that worldwide false church, he will turn against that false church, uh, the, the woman that's riding the beast. The beast will destroy the woman because he alone wants to be worshipped. And the halfway point of the tribulation period, we know that the Antichrist will walk into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, set up an image of himself, and as Paul declares in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that he will declare himself as God in the temple of God, desiring to be worshipped as God. Because the Antichrist is directly influenced by Satan, and Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. So we, we've talked about that in a recent study of the book of Revelation, but also that he is a military leader. We know that he's going to lead his forces uh, in that last world war that will take place in the Valley of Jezreel, or that is the Valley of Megiddo in northern Israel. But he's also a, an economic leader. And it is the Antichrist that is going to come along, and he's going to seem like he's going to have the answers to the economic problems of the world. And one of his gods is going to be not only a god of weaponry, as we know from the book of Daniel, but also the god of wealth, the god of possessions. And here's Solomon, his priority is on wealth right now and accumulating gold. And it's interesting this number would come up. Plus, also what the world is going to do is look to the Antichrist as one who's going to be a great speaker. It's going to seem as though to the world 
that he has great wisdom and people from all over the world and the kings of the world are going to come to seek out his wisdom. Just as the kings of the world came to seek out Solomon's wisdom. But Solomon had godly wisdom. We know that the Antichrist, whose number is 666, that he's going to speak blasphemy against God. To the world, it's going to seem like he's a great orator. He has the answers. But it's going to be something that is godly wisdom, satanic wisdom, and he's going to lead the world to destruction. So it's interesting that this comes up. And uh, Solomon just accumulating gold. Besides that, from verse 15, goes on to say, the traveling merchants from the income of traders from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So he's making these shields of pure gold, and he can't use these shields. They can't use them for battle. They're just for display because, obviously, shields made of pure gold are going to be too heavy you know, for war and to carry around. We read in verse 18, moreover, moreover, that is, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Now think about this. Ivory is very beautiful. Why would you overlay it with gold? He's obsessed with just multiplying gold and overlaying everything with gold. And we saw that the temple was overlaid with gold. Even the floors were made of gold. But he continues in all these projects and accumulating more gold. That verse 19, the throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lines stood beside the armrests. And twelve lines stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. And all Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. So he acquired so much gold that even the drinking vessels that they were drinking from were made of gold. And silver was so common that we're going to read here in a few verses. It was so common that it was like stones in Jerusalem. That's how common it was. So he's accumulating all of this gold and silver. We continue reading uh, here in verse 22. And the king had merchant ships at sea and the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. And so Solomon here, what he's doing is not only bringing back gold and silver, but all these spices again, exotic animals. He would have these parties that would make even Hollywood today you know, be envious with these exotic animals and monkeys and apes and all these other things as these ships are coming back from um, Ophir and, and bringing these things. We know verse 23, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And each man brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And I think that verse 25 is a sad commentary for where Solomon's heart is at right now. Because here is Solomon receiving the men's of the earth. Think about this. Here is Solomon that has a stage with the leaders of the world, and they're coming and they're bringing presents, gold and silver and camels and mules and animals. These things were valuable back then, and they were coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon godly wisdom, but he was charging them a set rate. 
And I think that's a sad commentary. Solomon had the opportunity to impact the whole world. But I think that his priority was, hey, if you want to hear from me, then you better pay up. You better bring some gold and silver and some animals or some spices or whatever it might be. He's charging them at a set rate. You know, one of the things that amazes me is, is oftentimes people call, and we get a lot of calls, and those calls continue to increase of people in the fellowship and outside the fellowship, people who are new to Calvary Chapel, they'll call and say, you know, I want to come in and talk with you, Pastor Jeff, or one of the other pastors. We, we need some, um, you know, ask some questions, you know, that uh, we need answers to, we need some counseling, whatever it might be. And they will ask me, how much do you charge? And I'll say, charge? We don't charge for doing counseling. We don't charge for talking to you about the things of the Lord. And, and they say, well, you know, that's what everybody kind of does. Or what churches do today is, and even large churches, the trend is kind of like, well, we don't want to take the time to counsel you, so what we're going to do is we're going to send you away to a counselor, and, and here's some references, and then they have to go there, and they get charged for, you know, for counseling. Now, if that's something that the Lord leads you to do, I'm not criticizing that, but I never want to send anybody away because I, you know, don't want to counsel anybody, and if I do, I'm going to charge you for it. I want people to come and hear freely God's Word and get counseling and, and wisdom from God's Word. We don't charge for that. We want to minister to people. We want to give God's Word out freely. That's why we give CDs. We give hundreds of CDs, thousands of CDs away every year as we encourage people, take those CDs of the teaching and give them away. Give them to people. And we want to give the Word of God freely to people. And here is Solomon. He's charging people at a set rate year by year. And it's sad what Solomon is doing. Again, his eyes are on material things. His eyes are on the things of the world. Verse 26, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowlands. Also Solomon and had horses imported from Egypt and Keve. The king's merchants bought them in Keve at a current price. This is the only place in the scripture where you say that this city in Egypt is mentioned. And now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. And in chapter 11, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonians and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And so here is Solomon. We know that Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And here's the thing. Solomon, known for his wisdom, having godly wisdom, he had it up here, but he didn't have it in his heart. And it wasn't being worked out in his life. And Solomon is now playing the fool. 
Solomon, who asked God in the beginning of his reign when he was young, that he said, Lord, I need your wisdom to rule over these people. And God was pleased with that. And he set his heart, chapter, you know, uh, following after that, on building the temple. He set his heart on doing that. And it says then in chapter 9, verse 1, after he had completed the temple and all that he desired on his heart. And I think that chapter 9, verse 1 was a turning point in Solomon's life because, okay, I built the temple. I built my palace. Um, I think I'll focus on material things. He got his eyes off the Lord. He had completed all that he desired. And you see, that's a warning to us because I've seen it happen in people's lives to where, you know what, I want to do this thing. I want to serve the Lord in this area. I want to go on a short-term mission trip. I want to do this. And they do what is the desire of their heart. Then after that, they think, well, I did that, been there. Uh, And pretty soon it's easy to slip into starting to prioritize the things of the world once again. And I think that's what happened with Solomon. Well, I built the temple. What else is there to do? I'll just focus on my projects and getting more gold and more silver. And everybody that comes to see me to hear my great intellect and wisdom, I'm going to charge him for that. And he was a man that he had a thousand wives and concubines. We know that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, didn't he? And he talks about how he looked for fulfillment in all those things, in knowledge, in in, uh, women, in money, in possessions, and all of this. And he said, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Now, back in ancient times, if you were the top dog, you know, you were the most powerful king, when you made alliances with other kings and peace treaties, oftentimes they would give you you know, a wife or something, that king. It was just kind of a political alliance. So here is Solomon, the most powerful king on the face of the earth right now. And many of these wives would come, just as we saw that Pharaoh of Egypt gave Solomon his daughter. And we know that the other kings would as well. But Solomon, you know, the bigger the harem that you had, the more powerful of a king you were. It was a statement. But you see, Solomon had something, a higher authority, and that is God. And the reason that I'm saying that he is playing the fool here and being foolish in how he's living his life is because we know from Deuteronomy chapter 17, don't we, that the Lord said to the children of Israel 400 years before this, as they were getting ready to go into the promised land, when you go into the promised land and you ask for a king, the Lord knew that they would ask for a king eventually, that when you do ask for a king, that the king is not to multiply what? Horses? not to multiply gold and not to multiply wives. And Solomon is doing that. Plus, the Lord also made it very clear to them, when you go into the promised land, you're not to intermarry with those foreign wives because they are going to be a, you know, a problem and they're going to lead you away and your heart away from the Lord. And that's exactly what we read here is happening. Here is Solomon, because of those foreign wives, that they are leading his heart away from the Lord. And Solomon here is being foolish. And here's a very important lesson for us. You see, we can read God's word. We can look at it and we can understand it. But then we say, well, I'm an exception. And I think that Solomon here, even though he had godly wisdom, it wasn't being worked out in his life. And that's what true godly wisdom is. It's not just knowing God's word, but it's having it worked out in your life. It's like what we talked about on Sunday morning, remember? That we're to be not only a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. 
And also Jesus would say that the wise man is the one that hears these sayings of mine and does them. Not just the one that hears them, but he also does them. And so that is true godly wisdom, that whatever it is that God has shown to you in his word and truth, it is in your heart and then being worked out in your life. So Solomon here, he probably thought, hey, you know what? I've built the temple. I've done these things. I'm amassing all kinds of wealth. God is blessing me. I don't have to pay attention to this law that's given to me about multiplying horses and gold and wives. I'll be okay. He thought he was the exception. And my prayer is that none of us would ever think that we're the exception to you know, God's word and warning. When God says that do this, oh, I don't really need to do that. I'll go my own way. I got my own plan. Don't be deceived. God will be not mocked. Whatever man sows, so shall he reap. If you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. If you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption, is what the word of God says. None of us, none of us are exempt from that. And if we think that we don't have to apply God's word to our lives in every situation. We can apply some of it, but this area, I'm going to ignore God's word in. There's going to be a, you know, a harvest that's going to come up. And if you're sowing seeds of the flesh, it's going to be corrupt. And that's what's happening with Solomon. He thought he was the exception. Don't ever think that you can be the exception, that there won't be consequences for ignoring God's word or not applying his word to your situation. And here is Solomon being blessed of the Lord. And all of a sudden what we're going to see is there's going to be turmoil and confusion and division that's going to happen now. We read in verse 4, For it is so when Solomon sat, was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as his heart of his father David. Notice that when he was old, some of us were talking the other day. We were saying that, you know, as we get older, hopefully we're getting wiser, and that's what we should be doing. As we get older, we should be, you know, more mature in the Lord. We should be getting wiser in the Lord. Here's Solomon. He's not. He was wise in his young age. In his older age, his heart is turned away from the Lord. His heart was not loyal to the Lord God as his father David was. Verse 5, Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, or that is Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites. Moloch, as we're going to see, was a god that they would set up the idols in the Gehenna Valley, and they would sacrifice their children on the arms of Moloch. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 6, and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place in Shemash, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, that's the Mount of Olives, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. And therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. And nevertheless, I will 
not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So what we're going to see here now is a split in the nation, aren't we? What we're going to see in the next chapter is the ten northern tribes are going to split away from Solomon's son. Solomon, at the end of this chapter, we read about his death. His son Rehoboam is going to ascend to the throne. And then what we will see is those ten northern tribes will split away from the kingdom and be known as the nation or the house of Israel. And down south will be Judah. And just as was told to Solomon that one other tribe would remain with Judah, and that is the tribe of Benjamin, they make up the nation of Judah and the house of Judah. So when we continue through 1 Kings and then 2 Kings, it's one section we'll be talking about the king of Israel, and then all of a sudden we're going to be talking about the king of Judah because now the nation is split. There's two nations. So you've got to kind of put on your thinking caps when we go through that and keep that all straight, and we'll see that as we go through. But here Solomon, because of his idol worship, because of his disobedience, there is going to be division. Now think about David. When David would go home to be with his people, when he passed on and went home to be with the Lord, that he left a kingdom that was united and, and prosperous and blessed because he had a heart after God. Solomon, when he passes on, what we're going to see is that he lives in, leaves a nation that is divided and in turmoil and idol worship. And idol worship is now introduced to the nation because of Solomon's heart being turned away from the Lord. I want to end with this, but this is so important. And I think this point was really reiterated to me in this last week. What kind of heritage do you want to leave for your children, for your sons and daughters, for your grandchildren, for whoever it is that you minister to? The older ladies, you're the minister to the younger ladies. Men, those of us who are older and wiser, have an opportunity to be a blessing to the younger. What kind of heritage do you want to leave to your children? I was tremendously touched yesterday at the memorial service of, of Sally's that we did when, when Sally's daughter and granddaughter came up and spoke. How Sally was one that prayed for them and prayed with them, shared scripture with them, touched their lives very deeply. And Sue and I, as we were praying last night, Sue was saying, Sally just reminds me how that I want to be with my daughters and and." Lord willing, if I ever have any granddaughters, to my grandchildren, to leave that kind of godly heritage. And you see, Solomon was so consumed with wealth and possessions, and, and sometimes in life we kind of buy into this bill of goods that I've got to amass more and have more. If you want to leave the most important heritage to your children, it's a godly heritage. And that is what will be spoken of. If ever that you pass on, and your children and your grandchildren remember you, they're going to say, my dad, my mom, my grandfather, my grandfather, or my uncle, my aunt, whatever it might mean for you, they loved God and they were a blessing to me, and they talked to me about the things of God, and they shared scripture with me, and they prayed for me. That's what's going to be spoken of. That's what's going to touch their hearts. And Solomon did not leave a godly heritage 
to his children because he followed after other gods. He burned incense to them. He disobeyed the word of the Lord. He was one that ignored the word of God in his situation in his life, thinking he can get away with it. What's the priority of your life, of my life? Do we really pray, Lord, I want to leave a godly heritage to my children? That I want, when I go, if, if that is, if you don't take us in the rapture of the church, but my days come to an end, that my children are blessed, and I've spent that time in ministering to them and blessing them concerning the things of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these important lessons that we've looked at. And, and Lord, tonight as we come, we're so thankful for what Jesus did for us. And, and Lord, we come to the communion table as we customarily do on the first Wednesday. And Lord, I just pray that our hearts right now would just be set on you and wanting to continue to worship. And, and Lord, I just thank you for us being able to come to you to really receive godly wisdom and truth. But Lord, I pray that that would be worked out in our lives, that we would not ignore what your word says to us. We wouldn't be like that man that looked in the mirror and then walked away, forgot what kind of man he was. But being hearers of the word and doers of the word, because your word is good and true, and there's safety in your word, and there's wisdom and guidance, and it leads to a life abundantly that Jesus promised to us. Father, I pray that tonight as we do get ready to come to the communion table, as we just continue to present our hearts to you, Lord, I do pray that our hearts right now would be set on you. Lord, that we know that the communion table is for the worshiper and the believer that comes and remembers what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if there is anyone here, if you're out in a coffee shop or in here and I just pray that all of us have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at every service, we give you opportunity to just cry out to the Lord, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as, as Lord, because you see, Jesus loves you, and he died for you. And as we come to the communion table, we remember that, how Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And, and that Jesus went through the sufferings. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And he did it that we might obtain forgiveness of sin and salvation. It comes only through him. Because of his love for you, Jesus suffered and went to the cross for you. Salvation is found in no one else, nothing else. It is Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for your sins and rose again from the grave. If you have not done that, communion doesn't mean anything to you. If you haven't received Jesus in your heart personally, specifically. And so if you're here tonight, and if anyone needs to get right with God in coming to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. The Lord will accept a humble heart that is before him and cries out to him. And you just pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. And I believe that you died on Calvary's cross, Jesus, for me. You were put into a grave and you rose again. 
and that you are alive. And Lord, I thank you for dying for me and hearing my prayer and forgiving me a sinner. And Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And all of us that... Have